Welcome to Never Just a Dog. I'm your host, John Littlefair. And in this episode, I chat with former US Marine and the president of the United States War Dogs Association, Chris Willingham. Chris shares the journey with his own military working dog called Luca. How's life treating you anyway? It's good, man. It's good. I've, uh, I retired from the Marine Corps about three years ago, uh, almost to the day. And then, uh, been working with us war dogs. I still train dogs in, uh, in retirement and, uh, digging it, man. Nice to be, have a little more family time and still gotta keep myself busy, but, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. Much less stress <laughs> in my life getting out of the military. Um, I appreciate this opportunity, man. I really do. So you retired three years ago, and you're now president of the U.S. Uh, War Dogs Association. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I, um, I, you know, I joined the Marine Corps in 1999, and then I was uh, in the Marines for 20 years. And 17 of my years was was in the military working dog program. And the U.S. War Dogs Association, through Ron Aiello, he was the one of the founders and the president uh, for the first uh, 20 years. And he, he supported me like throughout my entire career, every deployment, all my Marines, when we deployed, like they provided incredible support to us. And Ron's been a, a good friend and a mentor of mine for over 15 years since my early days of handling dogs. And three years ago, uh, he asked me up at his house at a barbecue and he asked me, he said, man, I'm getting ready to retire. Our board's getting older and we're looking to hand it off to the next generation of dog handlers and uh, that's when he asked me to, to take over and assume role as president. Like, incredible honor. Very humble just to just to have that opportunity. And and I told him I had to take a minute because I, I knew that a couple things. Like, I didn't want to – I'm going to put my heart and soul into it. I'm not going to – you can't half-ass something like that. Sure. Um, and I just wanted to make sure I was going to be able to make the time commitment uh, that it took. And it so I wanted to give him an honest answer chance of a lifetime like i was like absolutely man I, I I'm, I'm excited about this we took our time doing like a, a a fairly long process of transitioning he's got so much just institutional knowledge being at the helm of the war dogs for the last 20 years um and he, i still talk to him weekly you know we, we've done our transition i took over january 1st of last year so i've been i've been in charge for about 13 months now but i still reach out to ron and keep him up to date what's going on ask him questions and He's, he's always been part of the War Dogs family, but it's, it's been incredible, man. I, I love it. Going back, Chris, were you, as a child, like a dog lover? Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and we had dogs growing up. And most of the dogs we had were – we had beagles uh, for, like, hunting when I was really young. And then we had uh, a couple of labs, Labrador retrievers. Yeah, had quite a few dogs growing up. Always a dog lover. And I, but I, I never, I didn't know the, I didn't know the military had dogs. Like, so when I joined, I had no idea that was an option. And I just, I was very fortunate to kind of, to fall into it, but it was, uh, yeah, I, I've always had a, a you know, love for canine. When you joined the Marines, how did you get involved as a dog handler? How, how did that roll out for you? Yeah, so I was, I joined, I, I wanted, my goal was, it was before 9-11. So it wasn't about deployments. I wanted to go and get four years of life experience and I was going to go back to Alabama and work with my dad. He was in uh, uh, like our narcotics unit and I was going to go work with him. My dad was a Vietnam do- or a Vietnam veteran. He was a machine gunner in Vietnam and that dude's my hero, you know? So I was like, I'm going to get four years of life experience and then I'll come back. And, and my first roommate in the Marine Corps was a dog handler. And he's like, man, you got to come, you know, check out what we do. And, and I went down to the kennels and it, it was, I was like, I, this is amazing. Like, this is what y'all get to do. Like we get paid the same, but you're playing with dogs and I'm, I'm not. <laughs> so I started, uh, I started volunteering on, on my off time and, uh, they have volunteer seats where you have to, uh, basically go up on a board and go through a little bit of a selection process. And then I went to canine school down in San Antonio and then nine 11 happened the next year. Those two events right there kept me in for the next 20 years, becoming a dog handler and then nine 11. Like that's, that's the reason why I stayed as long as I did. Your first dog, Luca, and how did you get paired up? So so my first, uh, uh, I got Luca 
I'd been in the Marine Corps for about six years. So I'd already had another dog uh, named Techie, who was a German Shepherd. And then uh, I went to Lackland Air Force Base, where I was a, a canine trainer uh, for a couple years. And then that's when deployments for a canine became, uh, started getting uh, in higher demand. Because you know, after the invasion of Iraq, um, once they displaced the Iraqi uh, military, that's when you started seeing the insurgency pop up. That's when you started seeing more IEDs, improvised explosive devices. And it was, you know, we quickly figured out, like, we need more countermeasures for IEDs. Like, they're the number one threat to coalition force, forces in Iraq and Afghanistan. And we started developing new capabilities within the canine program. And at the same time, just kind of completely shifting our training focus for for a combat role. Uh, two of the programs we developed out of that was the combat trackers. So we bought those back from Vietnam and they're like sense specific combat, uh, combat trackers. So if you find a weapons cache, you find an IED, like they can help track back and get at least a direction of travel for the individuals uh, who laid it, who set it up. The other one was a specialized search dog program. And that, that's what, that's what I did. Now I, I, that really appealed to me. So that was a, uh, an off-leash capability, uh, single purpose, and your whole job was to look for explosives, to look for IEDs, weapons caches. The big difference was having that standoff distance and have a dog who is off-leash out in front of you as you're walking point, your dog's in front, scanning the area, and you get really good at like picking out productive areas and you know the proper utilization of your military working dog. Well, the Marine Corps at that time, um, they started looking to, to other departments in other countries who had well-established off-leash programs and they went with the Israelis uh, who were who had a top-notch off-leash program so I went over to Israel for nine months and with four, uh, three other Marines and that's why I was paired up with Luca and we trained together and then I was with her for the next five years and she was trained to search you know roadways open areas buildings vehicles I could do only searching but I had an off-leash capability to a very high level to where you actually could put radios on the dog's back. And I could, I had a, a microphone coming down and I could give her commands while she's out in front of me. And you could be standing three feet from me. You couldn't hardly hear me talk. I could look a forward, left, right. And she would respond to my radio commands after an extensive training program. And man, it was, it was amazing. Like it was, I could send them in training. I could send her out to five, 600 yards easy. And then for combat, I would just need her for 30 yards, 50 yards at a time at a max. Most times it's like 20, 30 yards, all I would ask for. But training up to four, 500, man, she was like a robot. And when I only asked her to do 20 or 30 yards, like it was you know, it, just like anything else, you want to train well above what's expected of you in combat. So that's why, that's why I got Luca, man. And we were, I was fortunate. Like we had four Marines, five dogs and, and they're, you know, typically you're the one who's helping kind of pair them up. They look at personalities and kind of want to get that team pairing right. And uh, they paired Luke and me together and we started, it took a little bit uh, in the beginning. Like she was very, uh, she loved her reward, her toy, her Kong. If she got that thing, she was gone. She was like, I don't need you. I got, I got what I need and I'm out of here. So uh, it took a lot of extra work for us to kind of develop that rapport and that genuine relationship, like in trust between me and her. And then once we clicked and once she understood and, and understood like, you know, that, Hey, I'm the guy who can give you that toy and not just, <laughs> I'll, I'll give it back to you. If you bring it back to me, uh, man, we, we took off. We started really driving and started uh, really connecting well on the training objectives. And she was special. She was a very special doll, very intelligent, high trainability, incredible spirit. Like she was just, she was an incredible dog. And I had, hundreds of dogs on leash between going over to Europe and selecting dogs. And so when I tell you there's something that was truly special about her, like she was, she was in a, in a league of her own. She was the one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So when did you go first deployment into Iraq? Is that right? Yeah. We, so me and Luca went to uh, Iraq in uh, uh, 2007 during the, the surge when they started beefing up like an extra 30,000 troops. And we were, we just got back. Uh, we were in Israel in 2006, went to Iraq in 2007, and we were south of Baghdad. And the first uh, that Baghdad was getting a lot of rocket attacks and uh, 
car bombs, V-bids, vehicle-borne IEDs into Baghdad. So there was a, a large military uh, operation as a battalion-wide where we went down south of Baghdad along the Tigris River. And our job was just to clear house, like just to clear out insurgents and then establish uh, new patrol bases uh, just to help build up trust within the the local community, but also just be a, a almost like a blocking position to restrict enemy movement. And so that's what we did. And the first thing that that I searched with Luca was a uh, it was a a horse stables and a, a pool house on the Tigris River that belonged to Saddam Hussein's sons. And that's where we established Patrol Base Murray. And it was me and one of the dog team there, um, a guy named Corey Weens and his dog Cooper, who I'd known from a year prior when they came to our school down at Lackland. And uh, the two of us went to work, man. Like we, we got, we got, uh, we made good names for ourselves for K9, finding IDs and weapons caches. And it took just a little bit of, because I'm a, as a K9, I was an outsider. So you got to come in and give a capabilities and limitations brief. You got to explain what you can do for the unit. And then, uh, and then you got to prove yourself day in, day out. Like you got to earn their trust, just like I had to earn Lucas. Now I got to earn this infantry unit's trust on, hey, man, I'm, I'm part of the town. I can, I can do some good for y'all. Just let me go to work. And uh, she had her first IED find three days into the operation. That kind of sealed the deal. Like that was a, you know, she was a, she was a fan favorite for sure. So it was, we had a good run over there, man. And then like, for example, we had, we started at that patrol base. Uh, we started getting mortared from the North. And the idea back then was people weren't taking mortars out and launching them they had a cache of mortars. That was a normal TTP back then, you know, techniques, tactics, and procedures. That was, that was what they did. They would have a cache, go dig one out, launch one, and they would take off. So with that knowledge, and then uh, we were having some success, they allowed me and Corey to help plan the mission to go out and look for the, the cache. And we took two squads out. We got online and we went out before uh, daylight and Corey ended up finding uh, the cache of mortar rounds. Um, so when you're talking about, saving lives like you're talking about directly finding ieds finding weapons caches that could be used later or finding a mortar uh cache that was being launched on coalition forces so it's absolutely incredible but it's i enjoyed it man it was a you know it was a good it was a good run bet luca was getting dragged from some teams to other teams everyone wanted uh you, you and luca to come along yeah so you got uh i used to joke with people i tell them like they well, it wasn't fully jokes, but uh, <laughs> when okay. they would see it, like, hey, Luca, hey, hey, dog guy, hey, man, like, <laughs> they, would, they would know my dog's name, but not my name. Right? I don't know anyone's name in the local park, but I know every single dog's name. I, well, absolutely. Absolutely. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> yeah. It was like, that was my call sign on the radio. Dog guy. Uh, yeah, it was it was Luca. They called me Luca. Everything was just Luca. Oh, hey, Luca, get over here. I was like, absolutely. Bring it her. Like, I was the secretary. <laughs> Dad of Luca. Luca. What's that guy's name? I don't know. Just call him Luca. Just call him dog guy. <laughs> so you were teamed up with Corey. Yes, sir. Um, did Corey lose his life over there in Iraq? Uh, yes, sir. Unfortunately, he did. He, he, um, we're about just over a month into that mission, uh, pushing south on, along the Tigris River. And, um, he was, it was starting to drop. The way we worked is once the uh, clearing operation, like when you're going into your kind of new unknown territory, we would, we'd stay hot in that area. And then once it kind of went to sustainment operations, where it's just now we're just going to maintain a presence in the area, like they would pull us to go to the next clearing operation, especially during the surge in Iraq. And that was, uh, that was the towards the end of that operation. And it was, um, it was supposed to be Corey's last, you know, a day or two and and it was his last mission uh before he head back to his own patrol base and got ready for another set of missions and um they went out to search a, a compound and there was a large-scale uh command debt ied so we have command debt means that someone sets it off they pick when they want to set it off and then victim operated is where it's just left for the individual to trigger it like step on a pressure plate or something and so uh, there was a command debt and it killed Corey and his dog and a uh, security guy named Salazar and, and wounded five others. It was a, it was a large IED, man. And it was, uh, that was a tough, that was a tough day. And uh, one of the toughest days I've ever had in my life. It was because uh, I ended up having to, uh, to load Corey, like load Corey's body in a, in a helicopter to send him home. And 
uh, stayed at the, we stayed in a tent together. So I had to go back to that tent by myself and help pack up all his gear and just. And we were the only two in there because we we're dog handlers. They didn't put nobody else in there because we had the dogs out with us. And that was brutal, man. That was uh, above all else. Your job as a leader is to bring your dudes home. And you know, I didn't I didn't bring Corey home from that deployment. So it was a uh, was a it was a tough moment for me. And then Luca was there through me through it all. Like she she saved my life more than once. I mean, in more than one ways. Like she was. I was in that tent and it finally hit me and it, you know, broke down of what's you know kind of the. I had a moment to myself and Luca got up from the other side of the tent, came over and like rested beside me and put her head on my leg. And like, just, I mean, they're therapy dogs for a reason. Um, and they get so in tune with you, especially when you're in combat. Um, and she was, she was there through some of my toughest times I've ever had it, from that point up until when I was, you know, she was in retirement and I was still active. Like she's, she's like my own personal therapy dog, man. That was, that was tough. That's, um, it's terrible. How do you, what happened in the days after? I mean, you probably can't take a day off or anything. You have to plow straight back into work. Yeah, you, you there's still work to do. Uh, and everybody reacts different. Uh, I was, I became a little obsessed with just finding IEDs, man. Like I, I, I like I said, I, I don't think I, I didn't have necessarily like a death wish, but also I was uh, dealing with a lot of guilt from, from that. And I, I was between that and, and just ha having a, the faith of my dog. Like I just, I wanted to go out more as much as I could. So we grinded, we kept going out on missions and went supported. Um, actually I went to Corey's base where he was about to go back to for another clearing operation. And, and that was just all, um, they're called air assaults where they helo born operations where they fly you in at you know 10 o'clock at night and you go hit a high value target or high value, look for a high value individual. And then they'd pick you up at a, uh, another site for Xville, and we just we did that, you know, every two days we'd head out, go do one of those missions, and it was just nonstop. It's tough. It's tough. You just you 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 stay focused on what your mission is, but once you lose someone, it becomes a little different. And uh, and I, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really care that point if I came home or not. I just want to do as much as I could for the for the guys I was supporting. Yeah, that's uh, God, mate. That's tragic. Absolutely tragic. Is Corey, he from Alabama as well? Uh, he's from Oregon. Kept in touch with his dad. Uh, I sent a, uh, an email with some pictures and kind of explained after, you know, after a few weeks after he'd been notified and, and just basically left it open-ended. Like if you, if you, if you want to be in touch, like here's my information. If not, I completely understand. Every parent can deal with themselves when you, when you bury a son and, and we've, we've been in touch ever since then, since 2007. Like he actually, I've been up to Oregon uh, to visit Corey's grave. Corey and Cooper were actually uh, cremated and buried together up in Oregon. So I went up there and visited them. And then uh, like Kevin came to my retirement when I retired out of the Marine Corps. And a few years ago, about six years ago now, he, he wanted to raise some uh, labs uh, in honor of Cooper because Cooper was a yellow lab. Okay. And uh, he wanted to raise some uh, labs in honor of Corey and Cooper. And Luke at that point was getting fairly old and in retirement. And we literally just started talking about getting another dog. Uh, me and my wife did. And then Kevin called me like within a week of that and said, it dropped that on me. He said, Hey, I'm looking to do this. Um, would you be interested in having, having one of the dogs in, in honor? I was like, absolutely. I mean, that's a, especially coming from that family and having that connection to, to Corey. And um, I was like, absolutely. And, and he was, I said, the, the only request I have is I want a, a male yellow lab um, out of the breed. Cause some were yellow and some were black labs. And I wanted one just like Cooper. So I got, uh, I've got him. He, uh, I named him Murray after that patrol base that me and Corey set up. So he's pretty special to us, man. He's a, he's a big goofy bastard, but he's a, he's a great family <laughs> dog. And, and he means a lot to me just from where he came from. On so many levels. So did you go to Finland after a ride? Yeah, sure. I did. Uh, I did. I did a couple of tours. I did two tours to Iraq and one to Afghanistan. And then uh, I went to Helsinki, Finland. I was the Marine Corps. They have they're called B billets or special duty assignments. And it's basically an opportunity for, for you to kind of 
one, give back to the Marine Corps because they need these certain positions filled. Um, but they also look at it as professional development. So like a drill instructor, we're going to go to you know, one of the recruiting uh, depots and help train new recruits or a recruiter where you're going to work out throughout the, you know, the various cities throughout the states and recruiting new civilians in to, to join the Marine Corps. And then MSG duty, Marine security duty, where you're basically going out to support the security for the U.S. embassies across the world. Those are the three major ones. There's a couple other smaller ones. And the embassy duty really always appealed to me to go out. And I love just, you know, the opportunity to live abroad. I mean, I, like I said, I still, at the end of the day, graduated high school with like 58 people in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, grew up on a farm. And like, I wanted to go with that life experience. So any kind of, any time an opportunity arose, like I would just take it. And uh, you don't know where you're going. You don't know what embassy you're going to get until you're uh, about two thirds through school. And, uh, and then that's when they'll tell you based off the needs they have out there. It's like over 200 embassies out there you know that they're filling and i got uh i went to helsinki finland in uh november of 2011 and in my old platoon we just got back from afghanistan less than a year prior and they went back to afghanistan uh, i'd already been on camp pendleton california at that point for four years so my time was up and um i when i got to finland i stayed in touch with the uh, my guys because there's probably about there was 30 dog teams that went to afghanistan and about 10 of them I deployed with the year prior. So I, I kept in touch with those guys. We started collecting care packages through our embassy and sending them down range. And uh, at that point, uh, Luca uh, was with another dog handler uh, on her third deployment. So a guy named Juan Rodriguez. So Juan was with me in, in 2010 in Afghanistan and phenomenal Marine. Like he's a, you know, still a great friend of mine today. And he's a, he had a right training mindset. He's very mild mannered, just, but he's very confident and he can handle business in combat. He did a great job uh, over there for me in 2010. And, and I had the very unique opportunity of, of basically picking Luca's next handler when I was had to leave California. And the understanding was hey, Luca's going to be too old to deploy after this one. She's going to retire. And based off the Robbie law, which was established in 2000, you know, I was going to adopt her out and, keep her in, in retirement. And, um, you know, that November, 2011, I went to Finland, they went back to Afghanistan and then, uh, Rod and, uh, Luca did some great things. They made an incredible dog team. Phenomenal. And then March 23rd, 2012, about four months into that deployment, Luca located an IED going out to a compound. And, um, the idea back then was, where there's one, there's two, where there's two, there's three. Yeah, sure. There's my known threat, but where's my unknown threat? So he started looking for secondary IEDs. And unfortunately, one detonated and took off, damaged her front left paw and leg a little bit. Um, and she suffered some pretty bad burns. It was homemade explosive, so it wasn't a whole lot of shrapnel to it, but it was a pretty bad burn on her upper leg. And so Rod, you know, a little bit of shock kicks in, but then his training kicks in and he ran up and she was off leash. And uh, stopped the bleeding and played applied a hasty tourniquet, picked her up and ran her back to a secure tree line. And then we, he had a medic with him because he was with a uh, Army SF unit. And they started, they went to town and, and bandaged it all up and got it stopped bleeding and gave her a shot of morphine, called it a medevac. We get medevac uh, procedures the same as our dogs do, just the same as uh, mili military members. So just called it a medevac for two. One was going to stay with the dog. And, uh, but at that point, like, like Juan's quick actions on the battlefield is what saved her life. Like him running up and stopping the immediate bleeding because she was bleeding pretty bad. Like that, that action alone right there saved her life. And then by the time they got, they get the medevac within 10 minutes and they go up to the local, uh, there's a veterinarian support we have up at one of the large military bases. They just changed the wrapping. They're like, there's nothing else we can do. Like you did it. Like, she's gonna be fine like she's she's good you know so still damage to tend to as far as the immediate need like like one saved her life man it was incredible and then they assessed the damage uh we have a large uh canine kind of our training center mecca is down in san antonio then we have a huge vet hospital research and all kind of stuff goes on so they were going back and forth with lackland showing x-rays and images and and trying to figure out what the best course of action for her particular injury and kind of got the best minds in the 
veterinary corps to, to weigh in on it. And uh, they said the, be- the best thing to do was to remove her front left leg. Yeah. Okay. Based off the of damage. And so, and the fact there was no damage up in like the shoulder area, yep. you can make the cut and incision the exact way you want to, where you know it's going to heal just fine. The dog's going to ha- not have any balance problems with having like a half of a leg on the front. Um, and she was going to be able to live the, just as long as she did with three legs as she did with four. Man, it was removed the leg in Afghanistan. She was walking 10 days later, no permanent ear or eye damage. And the best part is like she had the same spirit. Like she was the same Luca as before the incident. Like I, I've seen dogs that, that suffered a lot uh, more from, from less ex, uh, circumstances, like mortar attacks or gunfights. And then you hear a door slam and, and they'll tuck tail and go hotter than this. Like Luca was exposed to an IED, got injured close, and she was still the same, could do the funky chicken and lay on her back and kick her legs and be silly and didn't lose her confidence, didn't lose her spirit. Like something special about that dog, man. Like and and uh and she recovered quick. Like so that was March twenty third, twenty twelve. She rehabs back at Camp Pendleton, California. And July 6, 2012, which ironically was the day that Corey and Cooper were killed, Luke and I were reunited in Helsinki, Finland. Did they fly her over, obviously? They did. So my, my ambassador over there got involved and helped out quite a bit. And they flew, you know, you got to have an escort for the dog. So, of course, one, get your passport ready. And uh, and so they, they flew them out of uh, Gate K-9. Is there a gate canine? Yeah, yeah. So there was uh they they flew in first class. Uh, Luca rode up top and special treatment the whole way. It was it was incredible. And then when they landed in in Finland on the other side, I'm waiting for them to show up. We're at the airport with the ambassador, and my family. Uh, there was a couple uh, uh, media there to cover it, and I was like, I was getting a little bit nervous. And they landed the airplane. And they only let Luke and Rodriguez off. Everything else was shut down. They unloaded the rest of the passengers at another terminal. And Luca and Rodriguez are walking down this little breezeway. And they're like, here they come. And, man, I can't describe the feelings I had. Um, excitement, nervous energy, and a little bit of like, this is going to be embarrassing if she doesn't remember me. Run straight past you. <laughs> yeah, she <laughs> runs up to a cameraman or something. Like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, we'd, we'd been together for five years we only separated for nine ten months so i know that wouldn't have worked but it definitely went through my head and then uh there's a video of it man it's it's it's, it's special like they turned the corner and i took a knee and i called her name luca has never been a dog to lick a little hot a whole lot like she just does it's not her personality like she's happy she's happy go lucky she does all, but she doesn't lick a whole lot when I called her name, she pulled up towards me. I jumped up on me with her one leg on my chest and then started licking my face immediately. Like it was like, you know, you're in Luca's good graces when that happens. That was special, man. And then, you know, I stood up and gave uh, Juan a big hug. And then he stayed with us for about two weeks over in Finland. And Luca stayed in his, his room every night. And I think it served as a, a good transition for Luca. But uh, for me, it gave me a, you know, a, an honest chance to take Luke, uh, Juan out and and thank him for saving her life. You know, as you can imagine, just, um, yeah, he, he, he was, he, he, there's some guilt there. We feel like he, you know, he, the dog got injured on his watch type thing. And I'm like, bro, that's the, you saved your life, man. Yes. You did that. Like that's, that's incredible. I, I owe you for you're in combat, man. It's this stuff's going to happen. You reacted the right way. You're doing the right procedures. An ID goes off. Like you saved your life like this. You know, Juan's my, he's my boy. Like I always will be team Luca for life. But yeah, we, we got reunited a couple of times every year. We'd always get together. And every time I'd see him like heading the leash, like here's your dog, dude. And they would, it's like joint custody. <laughs> uh, it was cool, man. We had, we had a good relationship. And he's in touch with Juan all the time. Yep. Yeah. I see him. Uh, so I still do a little bit of workout when well, he, he's out in Indiana and, and I'll go out and uh, for work and I'll, Every time I do, we go have dinner together. He's been down to Alabama, took him deer hunting for the first time, and he's a, he's a good dude. Yeah, so he's he'll be my, my buddy for life. Did you bring any vodka back from Finland? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mate, that's amazing. So she wins the PDSA Dickon Medal. Yes, sir. So they had a, this was a, like I said, injured in 2012 and in, in 2016, well, 2015, she was nominated for it. There was a general, I found out the backstory later, there's a general who has is a liaison job between England and U.S. And he, you know, he has a position connections up to the Pentagon. And they find out about this award for military animals, all animals. You know, there's a, from the Sergeant Reckless, who was a, a horse that served for the Marines in Korea, carrying ammunition up and down hills, like all kind of stuff, like pigeons carrying important critical information, um, and a lot of dogs. And there had never been a U.S. military working dog. And so he asked the charity or uh, the you know PDSA if they could. When I say a charity, like they, it's, they, they basically provide like free healthcare for dogs over there. It's a multi-million dollar. They got multiple hospitals, like it's an incredible facility. And Amy, uh, Maria Dickin is the one who established that back in the, that medal back in uh, 1943. And there have been 66 recipients at the time since 1943. And the guy, he asked that, Hey, can you, uh, uh, can a U.S. military work dog receive this award? And they said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's not, there's no criteria for just for England. You know, it's absolutely just, it hasn't been done yet. And so he reached back to the Pentagon and got down to the, you have program managers who run all the different branches of service and Luca's name kept coming up. And so my program manager was Bill Childers. And uh, he reached out to me and said, Hey, we're going to, nominate Luca for this PDSA Dickin medal and gave me a little bit of a rundown on it and the website and everything. And I had to provide witness statements and one did. And we, it, it, like they, there's only been 66 recipients at that point since 1943, because it's a very tough process to get through. Like they, sure. it's all about merit. It's not a popularity contest. It's not just who gets the most votes. It's like a no shit. Like it's based off of merit and you gotta, you know, be a proven uh, asset in combat to, to receive it. And it took about eight or nine months to go through that whole process. And I didn't know when it was going to happen. And then, and then she got accepted for it. And then they're going to just try to find out when to present it to her and how to do it. Well, there was a, a NATO uh, counter IED uh, conference going on uh, in England in April, 2016. And that's what they decided to do. So I went over there for the conference but with, uh, with Luca to spend a day for the award ceremony. And so they flew us over April, 2016. Did, um, Luca, did Luca fly first class and you were back in economy, like back in the coach class? Uh, yeah, I was underneath the plane and she was in first class. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the kennel creek. She was drinking champagne. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, man, it was, they treated us incredible, man. It was uh, we we spent a couple of uh, a couple of days, kind of as the build up, just to understand the process. And I'll be honest with you, it, it didn't hit me what how big that award was and how prestigious it was. I, I just didn't know. I just I was I was very honored and I was very excited to be hope be part of this thing and just to bring Luca and be her escort over there. Because at the end of the day, she had done three combat deployments, led about four hundred patrols. Nobody was ever injured when she was walking point, even when she got injured. Uh, she had a lot of fun, like you know she's a lot of good work in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I was just happy to you know, be associated with that dog. They they treated us really well over there. And then uh, the ceremony itself was in uh, Wellington Barracks, right outside of uh, Buckingham Palace, and where the Queen's Guards and everybody is. So we we go over there for a, a ceremony, and then you answer the same seven questions to 30 different media personnel over and over again. And it's a little overwhelming. And then you go in for the ceremony, which lasts about a half an hour. And that was it. And I was like, man, this is incredible. We went did like their morning show the next day um, after the, the, it started going out. And, and then they reached out to me like a week later and said, that was the largest like media imprint we've, we've ever had with a medal recipient. It was close to 1 billion total, like, views through the different channels and networks and platforms and absolutely incredible. Like oh, I didn't, man. I didn't, I had no idea it was going to be that big. Like that is massive. We flew back from England to California and five days later I deployed 
oh. uh, back over to the Middle East. Oh, seriously. <laughs> so I was like, I didn't know what time it was for about two weeks. I understand Luca is not with you anymore. She passed away. She did in um, in 2018. So we, you know, from from her retirement started in Finland, and then we went to Quantico, Virginia. When we were at Quantico, we used to go up to Walter Reed and visit with the wounded veterans uh, once a month part for a, a, a Marine Corps uh, barbecue they would have where they'd host it. And we'd go up there and just incredible. Like just a, you're dealing with, uh, yeah, I said, they got therapy dogs for a reason. But if you take a dog up there who suffered an injury, they, they love seeing her. They love having her up there. It was, it was pretty, pretty unique experience, man. I, I love that. And then to California, and then we ended up in North Carolina, where so I retired out of. And that's where uh, Luca passed away. And she was uh, just shy of 14 years old. So she led a good long life, man. And and uh, I, I let Juan know that her, her health was declining. At the end of the day, yeah, it's, it's a, anybody's ever had to go through that, the most difficult decision you ever make. I truly believe that it's the most unselfish thing you can do for your dog. Because a lot of times you'll hear that, that it's usually the – but you, people usually wait about six months too late. That's the person who doesn't want to say goodbye. That doesn't necessarily make it fair for the dog. They can't communicate that. They're in pain and all this. But for me, fortunately, the way the way it developed, I would say, is um, – and especially with having, you know, lost her front left leg, uh, it probably went from – it probably – probably within, within a month from when her first sign showed up to where and she developed a tumor – Towards like it's it's time to make that call. Like it's uh, it, it was tougher than I ever thought it was gonna be. Like I think before that, like if you'd asked me like two months before that situation, I'd already had that conversation in my head a thousand times with my wife a thousand times. Like I'm gonna do the right thing for Luca. It'll be tough, but that's my dog, and I gotta look out for quality life. That's the most unselfish thing. Until you get in the middle of it, into the fog of it, and it's not that easy. And it's, it's tough to reason through that and to know that you're the one making that decision. That's a, that's not easy. It wasn't, it was a lot more difficult than I ever thought it was going to be, but I had some support from some very key people, including my, my military veterinarians um, who work on military dogs all the time. I talked to them a thousand times before that, but then when I was in the thick of it, like they, we had very honest conversations and I basically said, you need to tell me what I need to hear. And uh, they said, they said, it's time, man. Like it's, you know, you know what the right thing to do is when it comes down to quality of life. And they taught me through it and everything and just kind of put me at ease to, to make that final decision. And I got, uh, I told, I kept one informed the whole time through this process. And then he came out for her last like four or five days of her life. And uh, we spent most of the time just laying on the floor with her and like looking at videos and pictures and telling stories and just, soaking up those last few moments uh, of memories and she loved like when she was um, uh, in California, North Carolina, Finland, she loved going to the beach. And so we were able to, we picked her up and carried her out to the beach one last time. And then we stopped by uh, and got her a ice cream cone. And then we, we went to, it was my military vets who helped me with a procedure. They, they were closed that day. So they opened a facility just for us and, uh, they got her all hooked up, and they said, take as much time as you need, man. And we stayed there and chilled with Luca until we're both ready as much as you can be in that moment. And then my men, that, I love my guys for that. They they really took care and, and were patient enough with us, compassionate enough with us, understanding enough with with us. And, you know, we're both, you know, had our hand on her when she took her last breath. Man, that's so. That's tough, man. It's a lot easier said than done. I was very clear until I was in it. And then I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to say goodbye. Like I was just, man, it's, there's nothing easy about that whole decision. And there's nothing easy about the days after either. Man, I I would weeks, months after that, like it would just do it. And it would be something that you wouldn't, I wouldn't be ready for. I'd be sitting at the, the table and she would always come up, put her head on my leg and, absolutely nothing's happening, but I would just sit in the same position and you have a flashback and when she come up there and she's not there and I'll just break down and start crying. Yeah. Like it just, it was, it was terrible, man. Like, and I've, I've had to mentor like, you know, many of you know, my buddies and Marines and stuff through it and, uh, or do my best to, but I, 
I tell them like from my experience, like, um, and it's, it's going to hurt. It's supposed to suck. It's you're, it's, you lost a loved one. Like it's, it's going to hurt in that moment, but the, the pain will fade and you're going to be left with just the good memories. Like that's, that's, that's going to be left. Like it, that, that pain will fade, but it's going to, it just sucks for a little bit. Cause it's a dog that you've, that you love like a family member. It's a dog who has that just unconditional love and loyalty and companionship. And it's supposed to be, it'd be weird if it wasn't sad for a, for a while, man. Like, uh, but yeah, it does. It eventually started kind of fading out and, but it's been three years and I still like, I have days like, man, like a memory, like I love uh, social media for the memories, but man, when they pop up a memory of Luca, I'm like, Oh, there's my girl. <laughs> like, oh, like a big stab, like a big, they call them uh, trigger triggers. Yeah. And it's like bang, a hundred percent. It hits you different. No matter, it depends yeah. on what's going on, where you're at. Like if you're yeah. alone, if you're with people, if you're like, it depends on what the picture is, what it brings back to your memory. Yeah. Like it just, it's uh, it, you you don't never what to expect just because it is a very special part of your life and it's man's best friend for a reason. Yeah, and- absolutely, and also for the journey that you've had together, which is just absolutely incredible. Did the military arrange a funeral for her? No, so we did, uh, when we did the original, like when Luca passed away, we kept it very private because Luca had, you know, there was a, there was a book about her and, and she had been in, a, uh, you know, did interviews about her service, bringing awareness about military working dogs. When it came for that, that ending, it was, it was just, it was just me and Juan. That was it. We wanted yeah. something very private just for the three of us. And, and what we ended up doing was uh, a couple years later, um, so like just to, six months ago part of us war dogs has a chapter out in michigan and it's uh it's kind of like a a version of arlington for for military dogs and they asked me right after she passed away about it and i wasn't ready like i just you know i wanted to just that's that wasn't my focus like i just want i have my own thing and yep. me and Juan and luca and that was our our tight circle and the time came and and uh and they brought it up again and, and, you know, just, would you, would you, what do you think about it? And so talk to Juan about it. And, uh, and I still have ashes and Juan has ashes, but I did take uh, some of them up there for a ceremonial uh, burial. And it's a place where, you know, like I said, Luca's been out there quite a bit. So people want to pay respects when they go up to the cemetery up in, in Michigan, you can, you can see it. I mean, it's a, it was an incredible event. Like they had these the bagpipes and they had, uh, uh, they did a beautiful job with it. They do these, you know, they're, they're pretty proficient at them and, and do a really good job of honoring military dogs in that fashion. And so it was, it was very special and it was nice to have one public's place for it. But at the end of the day, like it was just mine and mine and one's, uh, mine and one's thing. They're, they're getting ready to open up. Uh, they're going to open up like a OIF, OEF wing down at the, national museum of the marine corps in virginia and they've got almost everything of lucas and they're going to do a display for like she'll be the one her story be representing all military working dogs so they got my kit and camis and then uh her harness and the pdsa dick and metal they've got all of that they're going to do a nice little display but that'll represent and tell the story of like how dolls uh were used in iraq and afghanistan next time i go back to the states mate i'm definitely going to go check that out yeah Yeah, absolutely man so getting back to the War Dog Association, so tell me um, how it works um, and how you support the retired military war dogs. So the, the, the U.S. War Dog Association was established in 2000. You got, you know, going back to where it all started was five Vietnam dog handlers. And they met at a reunion, a canine, Vietnam canine reunion, because, you know, they, they didn't get the same treatment that, that I got when we came back from Iraq and Afghanistan. Vietnam veterans didn't. And they didn't really start having big reunions until the 90s. You know, it was just, just something they just didn't really do. And then they started, you know, having reunions. And these five guys met up representing three branches of service, never served together, but they had that that common bond of holding a leash and being a dog handler. And um, they wanted to raise money to dedicate a uh, statue for to honor all war dogs of past, particularly Vietnam dogs, you know, because of sad chapter in American history was there was 4,000 dogs that served over there and only 200 made it home. The rest of them were just left behind when America pulled out of the Vietnam War. And to this day, that's a sensitive subject. I mean, you, you talk to a Vietnam dog handler, they'll tell you they're, 
they can describe the dog like I sit beside them. They can tell you the name, tattoo number, everything, and but it comes with a with a sensitive spot of just knowing that they 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 didn't they didn't know the fate of their dog, including Ron, who was uh, the guy who was end up being a president of the U.S. War Dogs. He had a dog named Stormy. He was one of the first Marine uh, Scout dog handlers over in uh, Vietnam. We got time to leave. They brought in new handlers and said, "Hey, say goodbye to your dogs," and that was it. He's like, he heard from one other handler. But you, it wasn't like these days. We got social media, all kind of stuff. Like you just, he happened to run into one of the guy who handled. Other than that, he has no idea what happened to his dog. I couldn't imagine. Like these days, we deployed Iraq, we come back with a dog. We go to Afghanistan, we come back with a dog. So that's what they wanted to do was honor the 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 the, the war dog teams from from Vietnam. That was in two thousand. Nine eleven happens the next year, and we started deploying dogs again to Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, a couple years later. They, they raised the money and dedicated the statue in 2006, but this time it's full bore. We're, we got a bunch of teams in Iraq, and they're sending care packages over. They never received care packages from strangers in Vietnam, and now they're going to go and let, let's support the current generation, make sure they never feel what we feel. And once they dedicated the statue, like, man, we've got, we, we've got something special here. We can't just leave this. And... Uh, over the next 14 years, man, it just, it really grew into a full lifetime support of service for and support for military working dogs. When you're active duty over the last 20 years, they've sent over 25,000 care packages. And when the dog gets ready to retire, we have a, a military working dog service medal that again, when that dog is long gone, the handler Speaking from experience, you want every kind of memento tied into that dog. So that handler will have that for the rest of the officer, a certificate and a, and a medal we present to them. The biggest thing is in retirement. So like I, like I said, the Robbie Law was established in 2000. That allows military working dog handlers to adopt their dog when the dog is done with their service. But there's no public funding to support the medical costs for those dogs. So all that financial burden is going to fall onto a handler because you're adopting a dog who's now nine, 10 years old. Yep. They're yep. going to have joint issues, yep. sometimes basic mental, medical health issues. And as you know, you're going to, whatever that dog needs, you're going to do it because that dog means that much to you. Also, nobody joins the military to become rich. So, you know, we got people putting themselves in, uh, you know, financial stress from, supporting a military working dog when that shouldn't be the case. And that's just like any nonprofit you help step in and meet a need that's not being met by the government. So that's what we're doing. Since that program started, that's kind of like the gateway to the other medical expenses programs is we're supporting about 1,200 military working dogs retired, wow. paying their prescription medications for free. Over the last five years, it was just under $1.1 million in uh, free prescription medications. So once they sign up with us, we vet them. Uh, we have certain documentation you have to, you get when the dog is retired, you know, uh, notarized covenant not to sue and all kinds of stuff. So we can vet the dogs. And then, uh, we have one pharmacy we work with the pharmacy will send it directly to the handler. And then once a month we pay the bill to alleviate that. I think the overall mindset is, if uh, you're taking care of both ends of the leash, if I'm taking care of that dog, I'm taking care of that veteran. If I can alleviate some of that financial costs on the handler, unless you just enjoy the the happiest, you know, the last few years of his life, that's what we want to do. And outside of that, if, and every program came out of a conversation from dog handlers. Hey, what, you know, this is, you know, we don't have, like I get VA benefits because I retired and I've got injuries for, I deal with from Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, the dog should have some type of support from the military, and they don't. So we we step in there. Uh, we have a great partnership with uh, Red Bank. It's a veterinary hospital, and they have five locations. They got a bigger partnership. Uh, this uh, we're getting ready to launch into. Have about a hundred hospitals uh, throughout the country. There are there are ones we've got the partnership with right now. Yeah, based okay. up in Jersey. Yep, and they're they're about to absorb and help us like reach out to another hundred through a partnership up to a certain cap provide surgeries, you know, the specialty surgeries for free. Uh, Red Bank's been doing that for five or six years now. And sometimes it ends up being tens of thousands of dollars. It's treatment for cancers and surgeries and dental issues and, and free of charge to the veteran. 
the fact that we're growing, we've got a, a good little system in place, but uh, just an incredible partnership, man. To, and we help, we would help uh, kind of cap that off. It's like, hey, they're going to cover anything up to eight or 10,000, then we could help out, kind of polish that off to make sure the vet, veteran doesn't have to pay any of that. Sure. Kind of the direction we're going. I did read that during during this COVID time, but one of your supporters had, had to close their doors. Yeah, the man that was that was a tough one. It was about three weeks before I took over as president. It was like uh, great timing. He's like, by the way, uh, our largest uh, corporate sponsor uh, is gone, so good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> but it was uh, we had we had a great partnership with Pet Value, and you know they they had uh, like fifty stores when we first started ten years ago in two thousand ten, and they were with us till two thousand twenty. And they grew up to 358 stores and they did a, a annual fundraiser. And sometimes that thing would bring in up to $400,000. And because of COVID and merger and all that stuff, they shut all 358 stores. Oh, that's terrible. And so that, that, do, that annual donation from that fundraiser is just gone. So we've been trying to work on uh, filling that void. And we've got a really good partnership with pet supermarket who really stepped up this year and helped us, but it's one of those things like, man, it's, it's tough to ask like one group to sustain that. So that's what we're trying to like create new partnerships. And we've done that. We, we ran into uh, Miranda Lambert, uh, country music singer at a, uh, she was a, uh, Luca was being honored uh, down in Texas and we ran into her. She was also being, Miranda Lambert was being honored and I happened to run into her and uh, I shot my shot and I was like, Hey, let me tell you about war dogs. Cause I know she has a foundation that supports rescue dogs. And, uh, I took a shot on it and said, I gave her like a 30 second, 60 second, you know, elevator speech about it. And, uh, and, and she very compassionate, very like genuinely supportive of military and military dogs. And she looked at her, you know, her crew said her assistant said, Hey, I want to support this organization. And to their credit, they fought the next day. I was talking to the CEO of their foundation and they donated, a, uh, donated to us. And we got a partnership going forward to help support some of those emergency situations. Uh, for dogs and and so we've started like I like a lot of those uh, I want to get more of those mid-range where I can uh, eat a little more sustainable you want to have some diversity in your your fundraising because once pet value left that was a huge undertaking yeah. to try to backfill that yeah. pet supermarket has been phenomenal but that's that's it I mean, it's just we're a nonprofit. we go out and do road shows at canine conferences and pass the hat and collect $700 in a weekend up to corporate sponsorship everything in between Chris, it's been an absolute honour having you on the show today, mate, and I wish you all the best with the future and the US War Dogs Association. Yeah, I really appreciate this opportunity. I love the, I always love the opportunity to spread awareness about what our military working dogs do, and then also, you know, what the US War Dogs Association does is help support those military working dogs active and retired. So thank you very much for this opportunity. To find out how to support Chris and his team at US War Dogs Association, head to uswardogs.org.